Well, hello there, and welcome to Chronicles of Power, a podcast dedicated to the world of power, where I review and break down the latest episode in the Powerverse. Today, we will be talking about episode 208 from Power Book 4 Force, written by the wonderful Melody Cooper and directed by Eve Rivera. I always wonder if I'm, if I'm saying his name right. Is That's it right. Eve or is it? It is. <laughs> what? We are brought to you by Private Listen, your source for all things music, sports, culture, and entertainment. Follow the new page at Chronicles of Power on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube at PVTLSTD. You can find all types of interviews, tidbits, and music features on the YouTube page. So definitely get over there and go follow us. My name is Kimi, and I'll be your guide as we break down the drug dealing adventures of power. (laughs) And today, without further ado, we have our first female guest at Chronicles of Power. It is the writer from episode 208. Her name is Melody Cooper. Please, all of the balloons are falling down. (laughs) Please, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So in episode 208, we have a lot of things going on and we'll get into all of the particulars of that. We'll talk about the big, big scenes, some of my favorite scenes and one of my favorite lines, out of chaos comes opportunity. <laughs> and I feel like Tommy works better in chaos. But um, before we start talking about force and before we start talking specifically about episode 208, I do have some questions about you, Miss Melody. Because I am, one of the things that I like about Power is their inclusion of a lot of female voices and a lot of female voices of color. And we have men of color too, right? Mm -hmm. But it made my heart melt when I saw you and I saw, well, her name on Instagram is Magic Cole, but I believe her real name is Nikki. She she was the writer from episode three. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, (laughs) Like, I, I never, I didn't know she was on the writing team, but when I, you know, once I was doing my yep. research and I found her, I was like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, I was very, very happy. And I was Definitely. super happy once I found you and then obviously you agreed to come on. So thank mm-hmm. you. And if you don't mind, if you can tell us how you got your start in writing. Oh, wow. That's, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I started out as uh, in New York. I'm from New York originally. And I started out as, <laughs> as an actor. Um, and I started, I was writing plays. There just were not enough really strong roles for black women, I thought. So I wrote a play that was about this woman, Lucy Parsons, who uh, started the early labor movement or was involved in the early labor movement in Chicago, as it happens. In fact, Joe Sakura um, put my play over to a theater in Chicago who um, who wants to do the play. So that that's like a connection to uh to force but um Shout out yeah. to Tommy. <laughs> uh, yes you know he's a theater background he has a range and 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 i love that about him and i have another story about him and and a screenplay but um but i i and i was in this play and then it was done in new york it was produced in in miami with another uh-huh. actress and i said wait i don't have to be in it i can so i started really leaning into writing and I was writing plays and I wrote a play about Rwanda. I went to Rwanda to research it, which was intense. Um, and New York Station Film uh, did a workshop of it. And this film director came and all these film people were there. And so they kind of took me under their wing to, and told me, your writing is very visual. You should be writing features. So I started doing that. And what really got me into television was um, I was in the um, my I have a screenplay called Northern Cross, that's about um, a black woman soldier who helps um, a Mexican woman who is being chased by um, by rogue police uh, at the border, oh. and it's uh, and so that won the grand jury prize at Urban World Film Festival in New York. Congratulations! Was, oh, thank you. And I was like, yes, this is going to change my life. And I was like, ticket, nope. <laughs> It's like nothing. And there's a whole thing on my desk. And I was like, mm, no. And then um, I, I I write horror and sci-fi as well. As you might be able Ooh. to tell. Ending of episode 208. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and 
I wrote a horror pilot and I submitted it to the HBO writing program and got in. And that was what really changed everything because that was this very, it was nine months of really rigorous, like making us, um, you know, teaching us about how to write for TV. And, um, and one of my, my mentors was Craig Mazin, who, who um, wrote Last of Us. And, and he's a you know, great guy. It was really great working with everybody in that program. Kelly Edwards was running it at the time, was now writing herself. And, um, and while I was in the program, I got staffed on my first TV show, which was Two Sentence Horror Stories on CW. And um, I wrote two episodes. One of them was a beggie about um, how, the, how hospitals and how the whole medical community treats, or should, I should say mistreats black women. Uh, so it was great to be able to, kind of, I, and I write, all my writing is based around kind of social issues. But without, okay. I call it Trojan horsing it, without, without beating over the head about it, but just really addressing it, especially for our community. So, um, and then I got on to, oh, and I should tell this part of the story. This is a long answer. <laughs> um, it, then okay. George, Floyd, George Floyd happened. But the day before that, my brother sent me a video of him being this woman choking out her dog and telling him while he was in Central Park bird watching that he she was going to call the police on on him and then she started to so Christian Cooper who's that Central Park birder is oh my Oh my god brother. Christian Cooper is your brother? My brother. <laughs> and what? I, so I had been told I just wanted to see your reaction. <laughs> Like, yes. Oh, all the Coopers. <laughs> Melody could have been related to. Right. Exactly. exactly. So that was, and I, and you know, I'm an activist and I had been on Twitter. I was on Twitter at the time. I'm not anymore, but uh, I was on Twitter um, going off on Karen's left and right and just, you know, posting when I saw that other people had issues. And then my brother sends me this. I said, oh, hell no, is this woman going to do my brother like this and I was really terrified because I, I you know I really got upset because I thought you know if the police had come and he had left to go on bird watch they could have killed him so I was really upset and I posted it and it got like 50 million hits from around the world and um and it it changed things for him for sure and for me because we both <laughs> were able to speak about systemic racism we went on The View. We were on Christiane Amnapour from CNN interviewed us. I mean, it was just this whole thing. I wrote an editorial for New York Times. Um, you know, all of that was, for me, it was about speaking speaking truth to, to this issue that needed to be dealt with. Um, and from yeah. that, Color of Change reached out and said, you know, we'd like for you to maybe be... Um, we need black writers on cop shows. And I was like, you talking to the wrong person <laughs> because I had yeah. just written an, an article asking, uh, you know, saying we should defund the police. And that had gone viral. And I said, you really probably don't want me on a cop show. And they're like, no, really, we, we do. Because they had read my play about Rwanda and had a mm -hmm. meeting, a general meeting, maybe six months before with this SVP. And they liked me and they, had, they said they wanted to work with me. They have to find the right thing. So they put me with Warren Light was the showrunner for um, Law and Order SVU at the time. And he was a playwright like me. And mm -hmm. I had a great meeting with him. And I did my due diligence, asked around, uh, you know, and people are like, you should work with him. You'd learn a lot. So Color of Change was like, please, we need, we don't have, there's no black writers in cop. <laughs> there's like one or two. And this is a way to help change the narrative. So I said, all right, um, I like the showrunner. I like the makeup of the room. Um, I was the only black writer in the room. There's a black assistant, but I was the only black writer. I said, let's do it. And um, I pitched an episode about missing black women, figuring in 22 seasons, the longest running show in U.S. history, they would have done two or three or four. And they're like, mm, no, we've never done one. <laughs> and I was like, no, really? So um, so that's what my episode was about. And, and I enjoyed working in the season. Uh, I was invited back, but I, I made a decision to um, pursue. There were other projects that I was working on. One of them was a film for Netflix um, to adapt an African fantasy book. 
to a feature. And the Ooh. other um, is working with Will Packer. And we sold the show to Netflix, a genre show. So, oh, working, working. <laughs> <laughs> well, for all that, we have, you know, with the, with the strike and with um, executives, this is, this is a thing that I'm learning now because I've been at it for three years. And the thing I, I'm learning is that, one, everything takes a while. And even when it happens fast, it can go away. <laughs> because if your executive leaves, you're the studio or the streamer, you, it's almost like you have to start from scratch. So you really just have to, my thing is pay me. That's pay me, first of all. If I'm going to do that work and I have gotten paid and that is, you know, we can't work for free. We shouldn't work for free. Um, and and so that's been good. And I have amazing, amazing um, representatives. I have, um, um, I have three black <laughs> agents at CAA who are amazing. Um, and then I have a team, further team, like five people who always have my back. And my, my manager, Corey, um, at the cartel is is wonderful and, and is always in touch with me. All through the strike was in touch with me. It was such, you know, because a lot of, you know, it was a hard time. It was five months. Um, yeah. So what, do you feel like it was pretty isolating uh, going through the strike? No, no, because it was less isolating because I usually, I'm, you know, I usually juggle like uh, 10 projects, like I'm developing Isn't a horror I... series with Sterling K. Brown and Terrell McCraney. I'm like, I'm always working on something. I write a comic book, but it got me out of my, it got me out to, to talk to other writers and showrunners and to get to know other people. It was, it was really, and I love protesting. I've been, I've been doing it since I was in a stroller. I, I right up your alley. I was always out there and, and I'm a New Yorker. Okay. So when we protest, we don't do it neatly and quietly. We stop traffic. We go out on the highway. We're loud. And so I was not prepared for the more, uh, the, <laughs> the way the more it, subdued, yeah, more subdued, but I was at NBC, you know, where they, they were blocking up the sidewalk. They were cutting the trees to remove the shade. And I was there the day that we took, to the streets and the cops came out so i felt at home during that day <laughs> because that's the kind they of thing trees oh yeah <laughs> cut trees to remove the shade so it's like really okay <sighs> okay so yeah. there were two things that you mentioned earlier so one of them um something similar when we spoke to lamont edwards he said something around about the scene about having um a mentor do you think that it's necessary for young writers to have a mentor when they're transitioning into, whether they're transitioning from acting or whatever it is that they're doing in the film industry, is it better to have a mentor along the way? Yes, absolutely. And it's, and you can do it through, I found my mentors through doing these film labs and these um, writing labs. So Cheo Hadari Coker is one of my mentors. Glenn Mazzara is one of my, he, who did the, um, Chayo did um, Black Lightning. I hope I'm remembering that right because I'm always mixing up his shows. Um, Glenn Mazzara was the Walking did The Walking Dead. Um, I mentioned Craig Mazin already. Um, Joshua Astrakhan, who's who did It Follows, produced It Follows, and and when you're connected with someone like that who gets to know your work and they they work with you, um, they can recommend you. They can write you letters of recommendation. They can they can re um, suggest you for work. And um, and very often they're they're honest with you about what you need to work on. They should be. That's what I want. I don't want someone to sugarcoat and just you know, you know, pat my back. I need to know what do I need to work on. What, do, what how do I get to the next level? And that's what a mentor is great for. And whether you're an actor or a writer, um, I highly recommend it. And and now I'm giving back and I'm doing the same. I was just about to say, how do you pay it forward now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pay it forward by giving. I I'm mentoring four um, screenwriters right now. And um, I also, um, I'm a board member of Stowe Story Labs, and we offer uh, fellowships through a group that I started called Nick's Horror Collective. It's NYX, which means Queen of the Night. Um, and it's for women horror filmmakers and writers. And um, at Stowe Story Labs, I, I mentor, I do panels, and it's I get as much back as I give to writers. I learn a lot. It's, you know, I'm... I'm you know, for me, next level is to be an executive producer to run my own show is, you know, that's my goal. So for me to be able to really work well with writers is important. Um, 
but it's also the right thing to do. You know, people help me. So, um, you know, I want to reach out and help, um, especially black writers and women writers, because, you know, there's so many hurdles for us. And so that any kind of network that you can, um, that I can help be part of, I want to do that. When, so when you heard about power initially, and it had Courtney Kemp as the writer and the creator of the show, did that give you like an extra nudge when you were approached to come to the power universe to come in? Like, it did. Did that help with your decision making? Absolutely, it did. Because there are so few of us out there. Because like, even should... with, with with the Will Packer show, we started interviewing um, uh, showrunners to co co EP with me, and okay. it was like, I want a black woman, and it's like, okay, the list is this small, <laughs> and so <laughs> so it's and it's hard at last. No, but it's like <laughs> that's why I want to. And that's why I also uplift other women who are at my, I'm a co-producer level, moving to co-producer, next is a um, supervising producer. Um, you know, you you move up and I'm, I elevate and support all of my sisters who are in roles that, um, mm-hmm. and, and they're moving forward because that only helps me. And it's the way it should be. We need, you know, we don't need people repeating staff writer three times before they're promoted to you know to story editor we we need to move up the ladder just like anybody else um but yes courtney courtney was and courtney's no joke she she is no joke she's tough she's had to be tough um and so that was definitely that and gary lennon also another playwright so there's just there's something about New York playwrights, we just have this thing. We just, it's just, and this certainly warm for you. Yeah. No, All right. I, I have to tell you, Kimmy, though, I was surprised. I was shocked. I said, I write sci fi and horror. Um, why does Gary Lennon? And he had read the the Urban World Film Festival script, um, Northern Cross, which is very, it, it's, it's, it's not just violent, but it's, it's action. It's an action thriller. And, but it also delves into the characters of these two women. And I think he, he, you know, he responded to that. And I sparked to him. I'd heard about him. And he is just gold, gold. He's, there are very few showrunners who are as supportive of writers and writers who don't necessarily fit the bo- in the box, writers that don't necessarily have all that much experience, but he sees what they can bring. And, and, um, and, and I really appreciate that about Gary. And he's so honest about, his story and himself. Um, yeah. He's Did a, he seek you out specifically? There you go. Did he seek you out? Did he say, okay, uh-huh. I want Melody Cooper, even though she writes horror and sci-fi. Yeah. I, I I so, yeah. I sure. he, he read, he read that script and decided that he, and then, and then a lot of it, it comes to, I mean, people don't realize that meeting is is everything it is not just it's like first of all they want to say do you have two heads and can you you know can you are you somebody that because you spend a lot of time from you know 10 to 4 every day um you're building out a whole season and you know do you have enough is there enough about you that's vulnerable because you have to be vulnerable to to be open to telling your story your pain to bring it to the characters and to the story and then, um, and do you get along with this person? Can you can you see them? Do you spark to them? I mean, I think I had a lot of super energy in the interview because I was really nervous. Um, uh, but yeah, I I think that he you know he decided that to, you know gratefully, I'm very grateful that he decided to bring me on board. So and it was a great woo Gary Lennon woo <laughs> already. So one of the other things that you mentioned before was incorporating social issues into your writing and i hope that people were able to realize what was happening all throughout the season like we've kind of they did it a little subtle right Uh but i feel like it was very glaring in this episode for instance with the whole leon and diamond storyline right if you guys didn't realize what was happening we were talking well we did mention it in an earlier episode i believe carl seaton uh, directed that episode where there was an innocent little girl shot uh-huh. uh, during the drive-by and they are specifically like I, I spoke to Carl Seaton but hopefully he doesn't get upset that I mentioned this but <laughs> um, um, one of the scenes he specifically had P 
people's reflection showing in the blood so that they are able to see themselves mm-hmm. reflected in what was going on. Uh-huh. And he said that that specifically happened to him. Like he saw that happen. Well, well, and I was like, what? <laughs> but something you said earlier was that I try to do it so that it's not so glaring and like it's kind of like a Trojan horse where you see it and you have to and people are able to to look at it and say okay well I think that's what's happening here but it's not the way how most people get offended because yeah. they don't want it to be too activisty uh-huh. <laughs> so and so that you lose your audience is that was that done purposely is I guess my question here um what what you mean just the Leon storyline just the Leon storyline because we know I mean Whoever is listening to this, by this point, you should have seen what happened. So, spoilers ahead. Unfortunately, our little Leon is killed. He is killed uh, by bullies. He tries to stand up for himself. He does have boxing lessons with his mentor, Diamond. And as a result now, Diamond is now going into another part of his psyche that he was trying to suppress. Uh-huh. All along, uh-huh. but we do see another innocent black boy being killed. Yes, for something that he was just trying to stand up for, and which was his old self. Mm-hmm. And was that done purposely? Did you want to make sure we spoke about this issue? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we in the room there were, um, and let's say especially Nikki and I, <laughs> we were just for, and I'm a mom, so for me it was important to address. Um, anti-gang violence somehow, and and um, and I'm going to be completely honest and say that I advocated for not killing Leon, really hard. I wanted him okay. to live because after creating, Me too. I wanted him to live, and then we came to an understanding that in our world and in our story, it was realistic that what happens to him happens, and that's part of the point of the story is for the audience to actually like Leon. It isn't a random thing. It's a person we care about and someone who we want to see get out and survive. And to see that that for most, for a lot of kids, you know, even in his situation, this happens. It's it's to to tell the fullness of that story from that perspective. And then also it this it serves the drama of for um for Diamond of what happens to him internally as a result of that you know like you said he there's this, there's there's these, these glimmers of hope that um you know when when he gets told your speech was really good and you see his his kind of pride you see on his face like all right and you you just kind of feel like he's like feel like maybe maybe there is a with this woman and this child could i have a family could i have a a, a life <laughs> that's beyond um being a dealer Beyond this, beyond being a part of CVI, yeah, and and then we see what happens. So it's it was important for Diamond's arc and to get him to where we're going to see him go, and it was important for the for the authenticity for I think for um, you know what happens often in the community. Uh, But it's I wasn't happy to see him go. No. So who overrules you? Why why did they say he must go? Couldn't we have gone about this another way to get Diamond <laughs> to get Diamond yeah. D Diamond and Aster Samson anymore? Like Yeah. I think I think, you know, basically the showrunner is you know, has the final say. But the mm-hmm. room does too. I mean, we 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 roll it around, we discuss like what's what are the permutations if we do or we don't. And then sometimes you have to make hard choices with characters, and especially with a show like this, it has its, um, you know, has its has its ecosystem. It has its it it's it has its trajectory, and it's you have to honor the show, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, for where we needed Diamond to go, it really felt like this was what we needed to do. Yeah. Okay. So we are we are correct in assuming that Diamond is on a different path right now. The Diamond that we used to know, who was more subdued, who was a little bit more even keeled than Tommy, whereas he kind of 
bring Tommy in sometimes where Tommy wanted to go kill everybody or Tommy wanted to go blow something up. And he says, hey, we we have to be a little bit more diplomatic. Is it safe to assume that that diamond is gone there? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say he's gone, but I think we see, we're seeing that it's, there's a, it's almost as if another part of him is now activated and reawakened. Okay. Yeah. And if you caught that brilliant moment that Joe gives with that little smile at the very little smile, uh, it was like, that's my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, all right. This is this is the diamond I've been hearing about. This is like, uh, you know, he he understands this, right? So, um, it's just an, an it's it's interesting for both of them. I I'm I'm curious now. I know that you. I don't mm-hmm. think you are on any of the. Do you, so let me stop here. Well, you wrote this episode. Like you are credited with this episode, but for the remaining episodes, do you still contribute? Like, how does the writers' room work? Do you could still contribute to the other episodes and mm-hmm. have feedback or input on what happens with the characters going forward? For um, at least for season two. Yes, because we, in fact, because we first we break out the seasons, so the whole room goes. We break out what's going to happen as a kind of general arc with Gary's lead, of course, a showrunner is leading us, yes, and uh, and then episode by episode we um, we d- kind of wrangle with what's going to happen, and Gary assigns who's going to be working on that episode, and then that person is going to kind of pitch what the storyline's going to be to the room. And then the room says, ooh, that works, that doesn't. And we shape it together. I mean, it was fun watching episodes to finally see episodes one through seven because I wasn't on set for those, right? And okay. to see, to see like all the little things I said, oh, I wrote, th- oh, oh, I suggested that. Oh, oh, I remember, oh, the- Lamont said that. And, you know, so you see all those little things that came up in the room on the screen and and it really feels it's like it takes a village to to make a season and and it really was very collaborative and you see that um um you felt it in the room and then you see it play out on screen it's great is it exhilarating to see your thoughts and your your imaginative figures come to life and see them all being put onto a screen yeah yeah it is it's (laughs) it's it's everything because it's that's why when when you have a project that stalls it's that's why it's so frustrating even if you get paid um when it doesn't go forward which a lot of people don't realize how many movies and shows don't you know don't go forward and you spend all that time and energy you want to see it come to life and so when you get to see it i remember my first episode i ever saw it's just like i was i was in tears because, you know, it's what, and especially the one they, the first one I ever wrote, they pretty much put it up as I wrote it, which they, usually there's a lot of little changes along the way. Um, but it was, it's great to see. It's great. Is that humbling to deal with when there are edits to your work? Yes. And it's part of TV. You have to get used to it. Cause like on, I remember on the Law and Order SVU episode, I had written this really tight episode that was a ticking clock. And then it's like, well, we have to add this procedural and then we have to see when, you know, this character does this and and then and then it becomes something different. The core of what you wrote is still there. But Versus- until you're a showrunner, you don't have control of that. And you have to, you know, any writers out there watching this, you just have to be ready for the fact that you you serve the showrunner and the show as, um, you know, as a, all the way up until you're a showrunner. That's your job. And it's you still get to be a part of something wonderful, but it's there isn't you know you don't have a lot of control. Um, but the best control you can have is to you know in that room. I like I pitched you know Abuelita the 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 um, the Latina the grandmother, grandmother. And, and then to see her life with such a wonderful actress, it's just like yes, you know. So yes, uh, so you know, there are things you get to be a part of. That that is wonderful. So I'm glad that we got to get a lot of background and your thoughts about Darby. But now I have to ask you about the rest of the stuff that's going on. So this is now when we get to the nitty gritty. Oh yeah, <laughs> I I love your story. I love the inspiration. I love your connection to your brother. I cannot wait to post about this. <laughs> now I'm like through the roof at this point. I'm like, but anyway. So, um, who were some of your favorite characters to write? 
for this episode. So we have Miguel, we have Vic, who I cannot wait to talk to you about. And we have Tommy, we have Diamond, we have Gianna. We have all of these wonderful mesh of people. But who is someone that you'd like to develop in this episode? That's really hard. That's hard. I think, well, Joe, I always love working for, um, you know, writing for. I um, the That Urban World Film Festival script I told you about, there's a role in it for him. And... Um, and he was going to read it at the the reading, but then he had to do a power shoot, so he wasn't able to do it. So to come full circle to be able to write, you know, Joe, um, you know, Chris Lofton is is always you know fun to see how he plays with his role, and and um, and for me, um, Diamond because this we were seeing something different for the for the first time with him, and mm-hmm. trying to push that to find ways to make that happen. Um, it's gonna be hard for me to just, and then I, I, Miguel, the actor who plays Miguel and Mi- Miguel and, and, uh, um, Abuelita, th- that scene in the quinceanera was, was, I, I, I really wanted to, to have that kind of representation and to have that portrayed and, but then to have this undercurrent between Miguel and his, and, and Abuelita was, um, you know, they just bring such such wonderful rich darkness to what they're doing um and i don't know if you caught in the scene in la quinceanera when she is leaning in and talking to him there's this like glow in her pupil in her eye that was caught that makes her look like she's talking about miguel (laughs) when she's talking to miguel at the table and i was like what (laughs) yeah I would, I, that that had to be like I don't know if it was coincidence I don't know if they did it on purpose we we would have to ask Eve for that like how did you get that to happen but one of the okay so one of my here here's some things that I'd have to add so like when I'm watching the episode I was like well I wonder what they were thinking here right so for Vic becoming a snitch what's I'm 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 grappling with this right because at this point I'm saying. How can this character that we kind of like, right? Like we kind of like Vic because he's not like his dad. He's not like his sister. He loves a black woman. He's like going to bat for her, even though that same woman was sleeping with Tommy. It's kind of (laughs) weird. Kind of weird there. But how do we end up where he is now a snitch? Walk me through what the character is thinking how was this playing out in his head and as a writer what mm-hmm. is it that we're trying to convey by him turning turning the tide and being with snitch well i think he's i think very much for vic he's always i mean leading up into when before he i'm assuming everybody's seen episodes up to this he kills his father he's always at the mercy of what other people have told him to do or what who he should be and now he's stepping he's stepping into his power but he's also cornered so it's this i think it's the it's the it's not so it, and and the fact that when we like a character and they do things that we question it's much more interesting it's much more dramatic and and for vic it is a situation where he he doesn't go to the feds intending to be a snitch on tommy but he gets cornered into that and it, it's watch him struggle with that and to watch him struggle with when he's with Tommy and 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 there's one brilliant little moment in 208 where he tries to to turn Tommy away from sus- suspecting him and he he, he says oh yeah Jannard you better watch him and he has this little twitch in his face when he says it because you know and and so that's so much just watching that thing before we started yeah <laughs> before, right before so- we started I just watched that picture and, and he does this little thing and it's it's so much more interesting dramatically and it's more it's like real life that people one do things that they don't want to do they get cornered into it and and you could see he's packing up he's like let me just get out of here I, I don't want to be doing this but he but he can't leave town so he's he's kind of spiraling into being in this tight corner and he doesn't know how to get out and that is, and to see him have to work, work, try to work his way out of it, or try to, and he can't, is much more interesting dramatically, I think, than than if he was just kind of like, all of a sudden, you know, he shoots his his father, and then he's just you know, in power, and I just think it's much more interesting. 
what would you say is Vic's end goal here? But I can I can say what I think it is. But as someone who's writing him, what That's do true. you think is his? What does he want to happen after all of this? Because Gloria isn't coming back. Uh-uh. His dad is gone. He's assumed leadership within the Flynn organization. Mm-hmm. His sister is out. What does he want? That's a great question. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I would I would say that he that's that's the that is actually the core of for the season. What does Vic want? That is what we that's we actually ask that in the room constantly is um is is answering that question or not or deciding not to answer that question that he is in search of what he wants. And when he when he gets what he thinks he wants then what? Yeah, then what? Still that, that. Right. Mm-hmm. And do, does he really want to run everything? Does he really want that? Does he even want to stay in Chicago? I mean, all those questions are, you know, open. Okay. So then my next person that I think we should tackle is one of my favorites. Um, two. So we'll go with two of my favorites, but we'll start with um, Miguel. So Miguel, he's in a little precarious situation, isn't he? Right. Miguel yes. thinks that he is outsmarting Tommy. He think, he thinks that he's one move ahead of um, Tommy. But then he finds out at the kids again <laughs> of all the places <laughs> to find the doubt that he's actually two steps behind uh-huh. because he finds out he knows already because he had already met with the other gang. If I'm saying their name, it's DSDs. Uh-huh. It's, it is DSDs. Okay, That's so cool. he already met with the DSDs and he finds out there that He's already supplying them through Tommy. Tommy has already approached these people and he is behind in terms of even going to them and saying that I'm going to be your supplier. So he has no clue about this. So that's mistake number one. So he's already hot with Tommy at this point. And then we get to the quinceanera and who pops up with a gift in hand? <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> at least Tommy didn't come with too long empty hands to a birthday party, right? What? But then he sees how Tommy is able to woo other people, and he didn't have the same reception towards Tommy. Uh-huh. Do you think that Miguel is... He's trying to keep his own head. At least that's what I think. And But his abuelita already tried to warn him about this from episodes ago. She's like, hey, yes. you gotta watch him. What yes. do you think is going to happen here? Is he like, is he trying to be his old man and say, no, I got this. I don't yes. need any more guidance from you. Yes. Or is he just, is he just oblivious at this point? I don't think he's oblivious. I think he's, I think exactly what you said at first. He's trying to be his own man. He doesn't, he, you know, Abuelita is very influential. She's strategic, right? And Miguel operates from a different place. He he doesn't he he doesn't operate from his head, and Abuelita does. And but he wants to be he wants to be able to be to stand as a on his own and make the decisions and not have other people making them for him. And he he thinks the way the way in which he's moving forward is is working. And when he finds out it isn't, it really pisses him off because. And I think it pisses him off not not just because he's mad at Tommy. He's just like he knows right over in this in the even in the scene who's standing behind him and silently saying, I told you. <laughs> I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> so I think he's mad he's mad at himself too, because mm-hmm. it's and 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 I think also because he then has to second th- think about everything that's been going on. Everything that he's been thinking is like now he's, you know, and also second like who in my organization can I trust? Can I even trust my own, my my own leadership? So I think it's it's just it gets him riled up, in all sorts of ways. Yes. Does he? Are we? Are we not reading enough into his relationship with his sister? Is it just him protecting her, or is there something else going on? Because he is super duper protective of her, and at yeah. this point, I'm like, okay. You don't want her to be with anybody. You just want her to stay in the house. Who do you want her to be with? Yeah, I think he's just very. I think there's it's a there's a a loving relationship there. They they lost their dad. Um, I think he stepped in. I think he's the way in which 
you know, a lot of men, this is the case, but I think certainly with Miguel, the way in which he shows his love is to control. Um, and, mm. and it's, it comes across as control to Morea to, um, to him, he's protecting. Like when he, you know, he rolls up on her boyfriend doctor and decides you touched my sister. This is what happens to you now. He sees he that. Lately, he just grazed her back. <laughs> it's like, and that was a touch too far. But um, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that it's coming from um, his. And also it, you know, in a situation where we see him under pressure to be in control of something, at least he knows he can take care of his sister. And, and that yeah. kind of, it's misplaced in some ways, I think the level of anger, obviously that he has about anybody who might come near his sister um, and she, she doesn't like it. I mean, she says like, you, you should not be controlling my life like this. And, and that, and that also echoes to Tommy, you know, um, she wants to be as much, everybody wants to be, that's kind of the, the season. Everybody wants to be their own person. Vic wants to be his own. Tommy is, is reaching out. Jannard, everybody um shanti everybody is moving out to try to be their own person for whatever they however they define that and they're trying to move out of someone else defining that for them yeah speaking yeah. of which that that's my next person Jannard, played by the wonderful chris lofton right so here's my beef with Jannard, right <laughs> let me let me take it back to season one when we had a different showrunner and we we're kind of like i feel like you don't have to agree with this but me watching it, it kind of seems like we are on a corrective course. From whatever happened in season one, we are correcting all of those ills and wrongs and we're trying to fix it up in season two. And if one. anybody says that that's not happening, I'll be like, y'all kind of lying right now because that <laughs> killed a lot of stuff off that was happening in season one that is definitely not here and it's But I'll see. You don't got to think. It's fine. You can laugh. But you don't got to think. Because they killed Dahlia quick, fast, in a hurry. But I don't even think it made it past episode one. But whatever the case is, right? that poor black canvas, I felt so bad for her. <laughs> Jesus. But, but hold on, let me, let me compose myself. But here's my beef with Jannard. We are told initially that Jannard has been running CBI for 15 years. Diamond has mm -hmm. been in prison throughout that time. And he has had a flourishing business. Mm -hmm. He's not a slouch. He's a fighter. Um, he's not dumb because if he had this afloat for 15 years and he had pretty much good relations with everyone, whereas they hadn't killed each other yet, and he said it's still running, it's still profitable, and they still mm -hmm. have a lot of people that work for them, it means he has some sort of handle on this, right? Like yes. he's not he's not someone that you can just push over. Okay. Then we get the split. We get CBI and treason, and I'm sure there are other factions that split off into other places. And then we get mm -hmm. to see them in the last episode where we had the coalition meeting, right? We saw all of that. Uh -huh. Then we see the downward spiral of Jannard after being separated from what he knew and what uh -huh. he had grown himself too, right? And nurtured and taken care of. I know we're talking about a drug dealing business, but it's still a business. And he still yeah. took care of it and still grew it. And it was still, again, profitable. Uh -huh. Now he's a user. But now he's kind of like in remission from using or going through withdrawals, we'll say. Uh -huh. And he's trying to come up. He's still, after 15 years, trying to come out of the shadow of his brother and trying to reemerge as who? So... He's kind of parallel in Vic in that way, right? What mm -hmm. do you want, Jannard? What does Jannard want from all of this? I thought that the demotion of him to corner boy was very drastic. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, there was no other position. There couldn't have been a three-headed monster with him, Tommy, no. and his brother. He had to be a corner boy. Like, why do we have to humble him so no, much? Why does Tommy put hands on him? This guy is not, he's not like a little kid. It's not like he's mm -hmm. um, small in stature. Why didn't he swing on Tommy when Tommy tried to choke him? Mm -hmm. So please walk me through what is happening <laughs> with Jannard. Like, I feel like I explained it the best way I know how, yeah. but maybe I'm not looking at it right. 
No, I think you're looking at it right in in a lot of respects. I think a big part of it is also that 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 dark night of the soul that he needs to go through so that he can come back. And when he comes back, he comes back strong. And he has this woman who has his back and calls him to task. And that's part of his coming back. And we need him to go someplace dark and weaker so that he can come back from it. Because if it's Again, if it, for and and this is for the not just for the drama of it, but for the character arc, we we need people to go to places, the characters that are um, that are extreme, that they're going to come back from, and that really and and also in in life that happens, and the fact that when you think about Gennard, when he took over the business, he he maybe wasn't ready for that. That was just, you know, his his brother goes to prison. And he's like, well, I got to do this. And he had other dreams, other things he wanted to do. And here he is. And he cobbled through it. He he did make it, you know, a, a, his it became it it defi- began to define him. Right. He defined himself probably in a different way before. But now this business defines him. And so anything that pulls away at that. It oh. it makes him insecure. It It tears away at the fabric of who he's become. And so, um, enough that even answers your question, but no, that- I think it does. I, but then I have a follow-up question then about that. Does in this iteration of Gennard, does he know what he wants to be or who he wants to be? Does he even, is CBI still something that he is passionate about at this point? I think, um, I think as things are changing and shifting, because he's aware of that too. He's aware of the interplay. I think that he he does want to be a leader. I think he wants to step into. I I think that this is it. It's going to be interesting to see how how things line up when you have people who are so it's on the chessboard, right? And you're eliminating a lot of the chess pieces, and then you've got the you've got king queen, you've got you know, you've got these major pieces still on the board and each of them wants to win. And that's, mm-hmm. and I think that Gennard does want to win. I think he wants to step into his power. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that upswing of him doing that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't I don't think he just wants to, to go along with the status quo. I think he wants to change the game. Okay. Speaking of stepping into power, we have seen a reemergence or an emergence rather of Shanti and Claudia in a sense right so they these two are now freaking frack and they are they are trying to (laughs) they are trying to show their dominance in a male-led industry Mm. but one by working with each other and two by trying to not be solely dependent on the males that are within their industry and that are within their immediate circles so one, Claudia doesn't have her brother and her dad anymore, but she still yeah. is under the thumb of Murkovich, uh, who I don't see lasting very long. But that's just mm-hmm. my theory because of what we see, what's been happening since we've transitioned. Um, and then we have Shanti, who has now taken on Jannard's beef with Tommy, whereas she's like, I want to get this guy out of here. Would you think that Claudia and Shanti's frustrations with the men that mm-hmm. that they are pointing at the men are they are they well placed? So the frustrations that they have with the men that are, they feel that are blocking them mm-hmm. are they looking at the game properly? Um. I think that Shanti and Claudia are trying to get what they can. They're reaching for the low hanging fruit and they're trying to be, you see how they shift. They've been shifting um, whether or not they work with the Serbs, what's going on. And I think they're just trying to do a dance around what's available, what they can get. Um, But I think they have ulterior different, different motives and different, different motivations and I think that Shanti is, she she's 100% with her man. 
Okay. And so, but is Jannard still worried about Tommy at this point? Because I feel like she is putting that bug back in his ear. Yes. Or putting that battery in his back. It's like, it's like, um, like Beth. (laughs) It's like she's made him, (laughs) she's whispering in his ear. And I think it's, it's very much, it's very, again, it's, it's everybody trying to position themselves. But Shanti, Shanti's, I, I, I love Shanti because the same way that in the boxing ring, you have to kind of stay nimble. You have to stay on your feet. You got to learn when when to land the right punch, where and when. That's that's Shanti in terms of this, her strategy. Um, but she's always thinking about her and Jannard. Um, she sees them, I think, as a as working together. And so Claudia is, you know, she's she's a she's a stepping stone, I think, in some ways in her mind. Um, when it works, it works. And that's fine, but her focus is on her and Jannard. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, you cut. You kind of cut out a little bit. Okay. Sorry about that. You froze for a whole second. I was like, "Wait, yeah, did I do something wrong?" Yeah, so, so you froze. I didn't get to hear the ending part of your answer about Claudia being. So you signed off with Claudia being a stepping stone. And right. Then what did you say after that? Oh, just that, um, just that uh, Shanti is focused on Jannard and her and Jannard oh, okay. as a pa- okay. as power, like a power couple. They're a power couple. Okay. So then you pretty much confirmed something for me then. So Claudia, although she has her college sweetheart, she is still pretty much isolated, even though she has the protection of Merkovich, even though she has uh, the Viagra Triangle coming her way. She still has to split her profits with Merkovich, and mm-hmm. but she's still alone in all of this. Word. And I think maybe right now, she she didn't realize the protection that her father gave her, and and how some of her landings were yeah. were helped by him. and And I wonder if the characters are ever going to come to that realization because she was so set on being her own woman and not having men run her world or how she conducts her business but she's still getting backed into a corner by men Uh so okay so (laughs) who else did we have to cover so we go (laughs) I like that you just agree okay so then uh, one of the last people that I do want to talk about and she's not a main character right now but I do want to talk about Gianna's reaction to Diamond after finding Leon hmm. and finding finding Diamond there. So this scene was frustrating for me, right? Because yeah. I was like, why are you just assuming that it's Diamond? <laughs> Didn't you? You knew that he had problems with the boys and neighborhood. Yeah. Why are you blaming and beating up Diamond? It's just, yeah. just grief making yep. her reaction be that way or is it something else it's really i think it, it's he's the he's the one standing there which is why he oh. holds her he takes it because she says you were supposed to protect him you were supposed to keep her from this so you know she she brought her son to him to go for boxing and to and then and here she and remember she's in a situation where her husband is has been antagonizing her and her son and mm-hmm. She was, you know, Diamond was was a way out in a lot of different ways for both of them to keep them maybe <laughs> safe, and so to see him there and her and her son dead, it's just like to to just unleash all of that. It's he's there and she's gonna she's gonna beat on him. She I don't think she doesn't think he he shot him or anything like you know it's not like she's no, no, not naming no. him, but she's she's just letting out her rage and her grief. Okay, so it's just grief that that we're seeing at this point. Yeah. So that I do have a question about the setup of the scene with Leon and Diamond. I won't tell you what I was thinking. I want you to tell me what's happening. So Diamond stands back. <laughs> Diamond, why'd you laugh? Come on. Huh? Which scene? This is which scene? Which scene? The scene where he ties oh, his tie, or when he's on the street? No, not not that one. That one was sweet. Yeah. 
that would made me that that would made me know if he wasn't gonna make it. I right. was like, after all of this, and then the music, I was like, come on, guys, you're pulling at the heartstrings here. This <laughs> stop. But the setup after they do the tie and Diamond is dropping him home before he yeah. goes to do this, yeah. I at least wish he would have been able to do his little interview. Yes, uh, but we probably would have cried at that point if he would have been able to do it but he drops him home and then the two boys approach yes as a parent there's no kid is getting one up on my kid right no, i don't no. care if it's one i don't care if it's two but diamond stands back mm-hmm. and he he lets him handle it himself mm-hmm. was that like a writer's room thing where we say okay no diamond can't go help him Diamond right. has to watch from afar. He's not yes. gonna walk up with it. Yeah. Yes. Well, we we ta- we made that decision because one in Diamond's world, he knows this. Ca- he needs to stand up for himself, and he needs to stay. He d- can't go in and and run in there and take care of it. Um, and even though Diamond has, you know, obviously he has a kind of parental kind of feeling towards him. He's not his father, and okay. the part of him that is diamond knows he has to stand for himself. Leon has to do this. And I'm here. No, notice he didn't walk away. He stayed, he's there and just in case, (laughs) but he knows that he has to take a stand for himself. And then that's why he's so happy when he sees him and knock the kid out. Um, Yeah. But then unfortunately, yeah, the devil comes. Okay. All right. I'm glad you talked me through that. Cause I was mad. I was like, diamond, what? What is? Why are you standing back? Time yeah. to keep going. Yeah, but no, and especially we since saw they do it before. Yeah, and because he's been in the ring with him, we've seen in several episodes he's teaching him how to stand for himself and how to, and so and that's why he takes off his jacket. And Diamond is like, all right, because you take you he has to take off his jacket so he can you know really box the way he needs to and take he takes the stance mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Okay. That's what all righty. So then the last person we'll talk about is Tommy, because I feel like we didn't talk about him. <laughs> we talk about the other characters. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. Something that I, I question with Tommy and how much of a sociopath I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Is it is it necessary for Tommy to have love in order to make him a little bit more even killed in this world? In the power world? Um, I think our decision, and it, it's important, we want to see, because we remember we're seeing Tommy compared to in power where he was taking orders. He's now giving the orders and he's he, he sees what he wants and he wants to be king. And so to balance that, there's a part of him that's also vulnerable. And, and so this this real love that he has with Maria, which is a different kind of woman that he's ever been involved with. She's in, she's, she's her own woman. She's um, a nurse. She's also dangerous because she's Miguel's sister. It's um, he's willing to risk to be with her and to see how their relationship develops. It, it, it opens up a whole other side of him. And um, I always love, I love um, the, the moment when, um, Holly shows up to mm-hmm. haunt him, and I mean the fact that and and that plays that right. to Lamont. That's Lamont. That's Lamont. <laughs> and, we, and we talked about we all wanted to have um, the characters haunted in different ways, and and we didn't know if if the actress would be available, and so um, it it was great that we, you know that we were able to do that, and that Lamont you know wrote such a beautiful scene. Because Tommy going on his knees and asking for forgiveness for something, that's like, we don't see Tommy really do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a key moment. That's a crucial moment that plays right into his relationship with Maria. Because it's it opens up his vulnerability as a man to, um, to how he relates to love relationships in his life and, mm-hmm. and what he needs to get clear so that he can move forward in in a more positive relationship for the first time, maybe, where it isn't so fraught, the, betrayal, and all the other things that 
have haunted him in relationships in the past death you know and that's and that and of course we see him kind of courting that again because if you know but you know because we don't know how miguel will respond if he finds out um tommy also finds out in my episode that the feds have a photo of him and maria together so there's he knows what's at risk and i think that that vulnerability coming off of especially that previous episode where he's haunted by by what happened to Holly and her and her being pregnant that idea of having lost the possibilities that that might have meant for him and then Does being he... open to saying well here's somebody who maybe who knows maybe you know, he's because Tommy's always seeking family he's he has kind of had family along the way but you know, that's, that's a major thing for Tommy is, is wanting family, even if he cobbles it together, even if it's people who aren't like actually parents, even if it's with his mom, with his mom. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole, the whole ice cream thing is for me. I love that. The ice cream thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two things. So one, do you think that, um, the danger aspect to Maria is what entices him more about her or do you mm-hmm. think that it's the family aspect that he's looking for or is uh, it a combination of both I think it's a combination because he's I mean Tommy is who he is he's not going to change who he the fabric of who but he, he kind of is he kind of is but not see the thing is is that he's if you follow like the thread of like he's always like even even in power, he's wanted family. He's 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 devoted, and he there's a sense of of passion and devotion and wanting family. That's a thread, and the way it's changing is he's changing a little bit of what that exactly means, and how that exactly can play out, and the kind of woman that he's involved with, and how he's he's trying to do it the right way. If you notice, they they did not boots it. You know, obviously, but it took until episode six, you know, <laughs> or six. I think it's six. Um, he he didn't want to. He, he courts her, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think that there's a, as he's stepping into a new role in terms of power, in terms of being a a king and taking over Chicago, that's open. That opens up everything new, a new way of loving, a new way of, and it, and not completely new where he's not who he is. You know, the, it's not by accident that he's like he's he goes he goes to the first episode. He's like, oh, he finds and he finds out he knows who Maria is very early on, and he still pursues her. Agree. So there is that element of risk and danger that is spicy for him. You know, just is. <laughs> so, uh, I'll I'll end it on this note. Um, Tommy mentioned something. So, like when you say that these things are enticing him, or it's it's a thrill for him that she does have a dangerous aspect to her mm-hmm. but he is forthcoming and we know that tommy wants family i feel like he's pushing his mom away in a lot of aspects and maybe we could talk about that and do a right. deeper dive with that on another day right because what he's doing to kate i don't like but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic Ken, we'll probably spend like an hour just talking about the dynamics between him and kate and how it related to holly and the type yep. of woman that he chooses right yep. But he tells Maria while he's courting her, I don't see that in my future. Mm-hmm. But he, he likes that she likes it. And I wonder, I'm like, is there a world where Tommy could live, could ride off in the sunset? And I just don't <laughs> see that for him. Not from the person that we have grown to know. Not the character arc that has been developing thus far. From yeah. power to force. Like, is there a happy ending for Tommy? And I wonder if the character is thinking about what ramifications his presence in her life will have for her. Or if it's just his need for family or his need need for comfort. Because he does look for comfort, too. And maybe family is the comfort piece for him. Like, is he just doing this selfishly by, by pursuing her? I think there's a, there's there's always a the selfish like I what he wants you know he Tommy likes to 
to get what he wants, <laughs> hands down. But I think he's also concerned. He's genuinely concerned about her safety to the point that he tells her, look, if your brother's going to hurt you and be a problem, I'll get rid of him. And it's like, oh, he's like, you're going to kill me, Right. <laughs> uh, I love how she swaps him with her purse. Um, you know, so it's, it, so I think that he, it's weird. It's because of the way he's come up and the kind of wor world he's been in. From our perspective, he might say, that's messed up or that doesn't make sense, but he's doing the best he can. He's, I think that, may, he, I don't think he wants to admit it to Maria, but he mm. might actually be like, oh, could you imagine if Maria and I, like, Rode off into had the kids sun. and had kids <laughs> and we and I was able to really have that. Could you and I, I think that's like every character has a secret. Um and I just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Miss Melody Cooper. I can't wait to pick your brain somewhere. I hope you don't get annoyed with me. Don't block me on Instagram. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this is fun. It's fun talking through it. And it's and thank you for I having know. me. Oh, do you do you get weirded out when we ask questions like you know when people ask you such so, such detailed questions about make believe characters? Because I hope people don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> oh, because that's that means that we've done our job. We've done a yes. job that that, you, that it's compelling and that you care about the characters and and you wonder about them as full people. That's great. Yeah. So, but also people, you have to separate them. When you see him out in the street, his name not Tommy. <laughs> Yeah, well, wonder about that. Like when they go to the clubs, because I have all those club events. I just oh my god, just like get they call them Tommy come... on the mic. Jamal is in the building. No, I just and when people are drinking and whatnot, I'm thinking, are they aware? Are they aware that they're him? He's a person. But thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Come back anytime. Thanks. We can talk about horror, sci-fi, whatever it is that you want. It's been a blessing to speak to you. And thank you for being amused to other people and be and paying it forward and also being a mentor to others. So if anyone is looking for you, please give them your IG handle. It's at Melody Cooper Film. Woohoo! Thank you so much. <laughs> okay.